Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. If I ask you what the word sloth means, what would you think it means? Sloth? I have no clue what that it's means. It's an animal, isn't it? Sloth. Filth? Living filthy? Really slow? That's where we are on Saturday morning when we've been out too late on Friday night. What makes you mad? Brett Favre not coming back. Do you think you can live your whole life and never get angry? No. What's a good definition of gluttony? Eating too much. What do you think God thinks about laziness? I have no idea. Uh, it's a sin. Yeah. You work like uh, you're working to God. Like you're working, I mean, you're working for an employee, of course, but it's like you're working into God if he was in your place. What do you think God thinks about gluttony? Well, not about the eating part, but about overtaking too much, like material things and stuff. He frowns upon that. I like that. I like that. Oh, yeah, she didn't want to deal with the eating part. Yeah. Yeah, she drew a line in the sand right there. Well, um, I hope that uh, your homework went well. For those of you that are visiting with us today for the first time, we're in a series called Dirt, if you hadn't figured that out. And we've been talking about basically the seven deadly sins. We've dealt with pride and greed and lust and envy. Last week we dealt with um, uh, lust and envy, and I hope you did your homework. Uh, one of the things I ask you to do regarding lust was to become accountable to someone for how you use your internet, how you watch your movies, how you watch the TV, those kind of things. But then I also told you that uh, for envy, the one of the ways we could break envy was we should count our blessings. And so we did that. We, I, I called Tal and Devin into the room and gave them a piece of paper. It was about 1030 at night and, and I sent them back to their rooms and they wanted to do it together, but I wouldn't let them. I made them go back to the rooms and said, I want you to write 10 things that you're thankful for that you, you think are blessings. And Devin said, what's a blessing? I don't know what that means. I said, okay, things that you're, you thank God for. So we had some interesting ones, but the most interesting one, I think, was one of the ones that Devin came with. with uh, I don't know where he came up with this, but he wrote down, these are his words, not mine. He said, I'm thankful for all the preachers around the world. Now, how a seven-year-old gets that, I don't know, but I'm glad he's thankful for that. And so I hope you did your homework. How many of you counted your blessings this week? Amen. And you should be able to name them one by one. And we believe that that helps you to become thankful and not take things for granted. And so we've been dealing with dirt. I want to stop and say thank you to the young people. They helped us with some dirt this week. They came in and moved all the chairs and squeegeed the floor off, and we're thankful for them removing our dirt. But that's not the kind of dirt we're talking about. See, the, the reality is, is that uh, we don't mind dirt as long as it's somebody else's dirt. See, we've been talking about exposing your dirt. And, and the truth is, is that we don't, we don't really mind exposing everybody else's dirt. We just don't want our dirt exposed. That's why there's a business that has been created exclusively for the purpose of revealing, revealing dirt. It's called tabloids. Oh, I know y'all don't read them when you're in the grocery store, but it, it's kind of hard when you walk through the Walmart. Oh, come on. How many of you have a sub- Don't. Don't raise your hand. Have a subscription to... Don't. Come on. Don't. My grandmother bought 
tabloids from the time I was a little boy and until she passed away, I remember that I could go to her house and her house was full of tabloids. Did you know that in America that over 60 million, quote, they call them celebrity magazines now. But did you know that over 60 million celebrity magazines are sold every week in America? Let that register in your mind. 60 million. According to a, uh, some research out of the University of, of Ghent in Belgium, what happens is, is our brain cells light up in positive ways when we tune into tabloids. Gossip, they, they go on in this research and they state this, gossip is an instant stimulator of endorphins. So when dirt gets dished, we become happy campers. We want to hear everybody else's dirt. And I don't mind if your dirt gets exposed, just don't expose my dirt. I'm already preaching, just in my intro, already preaching. See, that, that, that happens at school, that'll happen at Southwestern, that happens in your workplace, that happens in your neighborhood. That's when people get on the phone and say, did you hear? Have you heard? And we'll talk about everybody else's stuff, but we don't want to talk about our stuff. We don't mind gossip as long as it's not about us. And that's why Jesus so harshly deals with that. And he asked this question in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. He says, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in your own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me cast out the mote out of thine eye, and lo, the beam is in thine own eye. See, we've got a responsibility to deal with dirt. My responsibility is not to deal with Max's dirt, or to Michael's dirt, or to Becky's dirt, or anybody else's dirt. My responsibility is to deal with Steve Ely's dirt. That's my responsibility. That's your, now, your responsibility is not to deal with Steve Ely's dirt. Your responsibility is to deal with your dirt, to deal with your issues, to deal with the filthiness of your life. It's not your responsibility to deal with your roommate's filth, or your co-worker's filth, or even your spouse's filth. As you stand before God, you have to deal with, with your filth. So we're going to finish this up this morning. Y'all came on a great Sunday. We're going to talk about gluttony. And we're going to talk about sloth and anger. And we're going to do this, these three things, and then, and then we're going to get out of this dirt series, and, and then you can feel good again. Uh, but gluttony is a serious issue. Did you know that uh, basically, and I think you would all attest to this, America is a society built on excess. We overdo it on everything. We are a nation of gluttons. Did you know that? Oh, come on. I know you're, here, you're used to hearing people preach against movies and alcohol and smoking and sex, but I'm going I'm to preach against gluttony this morning, all right? How, when's the last time you heard that? Probably never because we don't talk about it much. But the truth is, is we are a nation of gluttons. I can prove it to you. We're gluttons in every area. I could talk about a whole bunch of arenas of gluttony. I'm going to deal specifically with food here in just a moment. But we are gluttons in every area. For instance, did you know that Americans, Americans eat 815 billion calories of food each day? That's roughly 200 billion more than we need. We... That's a, the extra calories or calories that we eat every day is enough to feed 80 mil, million more people than it does. Did you know that Americans throw out 200,000 tons of edible food daily? We just discard it. 
Did you know that the average individual in America consumes on a daily basis or uses 159 gallons of water when the rest of the world lives on 25 gallons of water a day? Like when you're brushing your teeth and you leave the water running like I do? I'm wasting water that somebody else could use. I turned it off this morning because I knew what I was preaching. I was brushing my teeth. I said, oh, I've got to turn that water off. We overconsume everything. Americans constitute 5% of the world's population, but we consume 24% of the world's energy. To, to put that in perspective, one American consumes as much energy as 370 Ethiopians. So when you leave the room, turn the light off. We're gluttons. We overdo everything. Our more is better attitude causes, to, causes us to always go overboard. That's why uh, this stat blows my mind. That's why in churches we hear people railing against alcohol, and I believe alcohol is wrong, by the way. Don't, don't read into this more than I... It is wrong, and you don't need to be drinking because of your witness and because of what it does to your body and the tendency to become addicted. But did you know there are 100,000 alcohol-related deaths a year? Do you want to know how many deaths there are related to obesity? 300,000. But we never talk about gluttony. Did you know that 76% of pastors in pulpits today are overweight or obese? That's why we preach about alcohol and not about food. And so I want us to understand that gluttony is wrong in whatever arena that you want to place it. Gluttony is defined as this. It's an inordinate desire to consume more than that which one requires. So all you freshmen that we always want to hear about the freshman 15, this you came at a perfect time. You know, y'all figure out what that freshman 15 is later. Scripture has a glaring example of gluttony. It's found in Genesis chapter 25, and I'm not going to take time to read it to you. You can just write it down and read it for yourself. You probably know the story. It's the story of Esau. You'll remember that the, the story of Esau goes like this. Esau went out to go hunting, didn't have any success, came back in. He's hungry. He's, he's famished, and his brother is cooking stew, and he says to his brother, if you will give me a bowl of stew, a, a pot of soup, some, some Chef Boardee, uh, if you'll give me one can of Campbell's chicken noodle soup, I will give you my entire birthright he trades a million dollar inheritance for a big mac from mcdonald's he wasn't starving he was famished he was hungry he he had some stomach pains he he you know his stomach began to growl and he had no restraint and he gave away his entire inheritance for a pot of stew i want to tell you this morning you need to get rid of the statement i'm starving because you're not I, don't, I think it was my mom that got on to me for one time for saying that. I came in the house. I think it was you. I, I think she was usually the one that got on to me. So I, it must have been her. I walked in the house and said, I'm starving. And she looked at me and said, don't say that. You're not starving. We're not starving. And that's where Esau was. He, he allowed his stomach to control him. And he threw away an entire inheritance for a pot of stew. What that basically deals with is this. It's gluttony in a nutshell. Gluttony in a nutshell is no restraint. One man said it like this. He said, gluttony exemplifies an absence of the restraint that dignifies the human condition. No restraint. There, one writer writes this. He said, there are five types of gluttony. I've never thought about this, and I find this interesting. He said, the number one type, uh, n- number one is this, is you become fussy about the quality of food. That's one kind of gluttony where you won't eat it if it's a little overcooked or a little undercooked. You just throw it away. 
That's being a glutton. He says another way you can be glutton is become finicky, finicky about how food is prepared. In other words, you're so consumed by it's got to be just right and I've got to have the, the highest quality in greens. I've got to spend all my time getting it just right. You're a glutton. The third way he defines gluttony is he says gluttony is overeating. And that's the one that we usually focus upon where we, where we eat too much. He says the fourth one is that gluttony is eating at inappropriate times. In other words, you snack right before a full meal. I know y'all have never done that, but you snack right before a full meal or you eat all day. Eat it, just snack a little bit all day. The fifth one is that you eat too ravenously. In other words, you have no control. You just consume. You just inhale it. And I eat really fast, so I'm preaching to the choir. Amen. Let's have an altar call right now. Right? That's gluttony. I want to say some things about gluttony this morning that I think you need to understand. The first one is this. It's usually the obvious sin. And I felt like I was riding in the truck about two weeks ago thinking about gluttony, saying, Lord, what in the world do I say about gluttony? Can't I just cross that sin off to seven and not deal with it? And I felt like the Lord said, Steve, you've got to understand is that this sin is usually the obvious one. And so what we do is we point at this one and we ridicule this one and we make fun of this one because you can notice it usually from the outside and we ignore all the rest of them because people don't know we're dealing with those. And so we want to point at everybody that we think is a glutton, but we won't deal with our own pride and our own envy and our own lust and, and all these other things. And what I am saying to you is it, it is it is most of the time very obvious, but just because it's obvious does not mean that we should point and make fun. Remember the speck and the bean concept. Is gluttony wrong? Yes. Does it deserve more ridicule than the others? No. The second thing I would say to you is this. Not all gluttons are obese or even overweight. You know what? I, I've failed a gluttony before. I, as you found out a couple Wednesday nights ago, one of my weaknesses is, is chocolate. I'm a glutton when it comes to chocolate. If one piece of chocolate pie is good, 45 is better. All right? That's just the way it is. I love chocolate. But one of the, one of the areas that I remember being the most uh, tempted to be a glutton was this. And I know most of you won't understand this, but you're just going to have to help me uh, to just, just understand. Some of you that have traveled with me in the past will understand what I'm talking about. It goes like this. We'd get on a van with one voice to go out east to sing at a camp. And we would be riding down the road and we'd pass the Mississippi. And we'd all be getting really hungry on the van. And we'd decide, well, there, there is a, a Burger King. Let's stop and eat. We would stop and eat and fill up. And lo and behold hold unbeknownst to us one mile down the road we didn't know it we wouldn't have done it if we known it but one mile down the road there's this one particular restaurant that we would i would pull into and i have literally done this i would eat a full meal at burger king and one mile later pull into bojangles because bojangles has country ham egg and cheese biscuits Woo! But even better than that, they have cinnamon biscuits. Oh, it's, it's this cinnamon concoction in a biscuit. And then they pour all this icing, like boatloads of icing over the... T- t- I think I just slid into lust. Um, mm. Woo! I think we... Uh, wait a minute, I got to repent. Lord, I'm sorry. Bless the pygmies and all that, you know. Y'all have seen that. Listen, most people would say I'm not overweight, but I've been a glutton. And the truth is, is that most of you probably had bouts with gluttony in your life too. Let Let me say some things to you this morning. We've got to learn to handle things in portions. Moderation is 
what we've got to learn to do. I want to teach you how we break gluttony. Several things real quick. Number one, we've got to understand that uh, the, the whole gluttony issue is a stewardship issue. You, you've got to understand that the stewardship of your body is a spiritual issue. Being a glutton is not just a health issue, although it is. It's not just a cosmetic issue so you will look better, although that may be one of the side benefits of dealing with your gluttony. The reality is is that gluttony, dealing with gluttony, dealing with our bodies is a spiritual issue. That's why the Bible teaches us that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. In other words, what I want to say to you this morning is this. If anything, if any area of your appetite, whether that be food or any other area, controls you, then Jesus is not your God. That thing is your God. Come on now. We've placed these things as our God. A glutton is one who raids the icebox for a cure for spiritual malnutrition. We raid the icebox looking for spiritual answers, and you're never going to find a spiritual answer in your icebox. It's not going to happen. So we've got to understand what the Word says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. It says, but Easy Street is a dead-end street. Those who live, who, who live there make their bellies their gods. Belches are their praise, and they can think, all they can think of is their appetites. I want to say this to you this morning. You overeating, or you overdrinking, or you spending too much, becoming a glutton in one area is not just a cosmetic or health issue. It is a spiritual issue just as much as lust and greed and pride and envy. We've got to understand it's a spiritual issue. The second thing I want to say to you is if you struggle with gluttony, then I want you to do two things. First thing I want you to do is recruit a visible partner. And the second thing I want you to do is recruit an invisible partner. And let me explain. We said last week that to deal with lust, you need a visible partner, somebody that can hold you accountable, that can ask you the hard questions. What are you watching on TV? What are you looking at on the Internet? If you need an accountability partner for lust, you also need one for gluttony who will talk to you and deal with you and say you're overextending yourself in this area. Your appetites are out of control. You need somebody that can help you. You may need professional help. You may need to go to a doctor and say, I need a plan. I'm eating too much and I'm gaining all this excess body fat and all this stuff. Help me and they can help. You need a visible partner. But let me hear, let, hear me this morning. You also need an invisible partner. We think that the Holy Spirit is only good for goosebumps and good shouts and good services and good church. But I want to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit can help you with gluttony. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And that's where we as Americans fall short. We have no self, self-control. But the Holy Spirit can produce in us self-control. He can say to you, put the Twinkie down and back away slowly. He can help, just as much as he can help you shout, he can help you not eat what you shouldn't eat. We need the invisible partner. The third thing is this, we've got to take responsibility and stop blaming everyone else or everything else. One of the marks or characteristics of an adult is that we will actually take ownership of our actions. Like, for instance, I've got to use me as an example. When I was drinking 12 Mountain Dews a day, I'm an adult. Others may cause me to want to drink a Mountain Dew. They may offer me a Mountain Dew. They may ice it down and wave it in front of me, but that does not force me to drink the Mountain Dew. So I had to become an adult and say, you know what? 
12 Mountain Dews from a day for me is not good. Listen, they may offer you the Oreo. They may cover it with chocolate. They may even hand you a glass of milk, but they're not stuffing it down your throat. Take responsibility and deal with gluttony and say, you know what? This is not good for me. I need a change. We've got to fight gluttony. You need to remember the the French proverb. I think this is powerful. It says, a glutton is one who digs his grave with his teeth. And I don't want you digging your grave. We want you to stick around. I want you to be healthy, not only spiritually, but I want you to be healthy physically. The the second area we're going to deal with this morning is sloth. Uh, I heard this story about this guy. He had 10 real lazy guys working for him. And so he decided that he was going to trick them into working. So what he did is he, he came up to the job that day and he said, I've, I've got a really easy job today for the laziest guy here. So what I want you to do, I want you, the laziest guy in the room to put his hand up and nine hands shot up. And he's looking at the 10th guy and he said, why didn't you raise your hand? He said, it's too much work. I know, corny. But this, listen to me this morning. Okay, I've got to be real careful here. Because laziness is one of my, my pet peeves. Uh, Julie's already gotten on to me and say I, can't, said, I cannot say I don't like lazy people. I have to say I don't like laziness. But the truth is I don't like lazy people. Um, I'll repent later. I'll ask forgiveness later. I'm just telling the truth. You know what I've discovered? Work is not a cuss word. I know it's only got four letters, but it is not a cuss word. Work is necessary. Work is a blessing from God. The fact that we can get out of our couch, off our couch, and put the bonbons down, and get our rear up off the couch and work is a blessing. We should not be lazy. We See, sloth is defined as the avoidance. Listen to this. This caught me this week. Sloth is defined as the avoidance of physical or spiritual work. And what I would say to you, what I've discovered is this is that if we are lazy physically, it has a a tendency to slip over and seep over into our spiritual life as well. When we won't get up and work with our physical body, most of the time it's an indication that we are also extremely lazy spiritually because whatever is happening in the natural is also happening in the supernatural. And if you won't mow your yard and the the weeds are up to here, then most likely you're not spending a whole lot of time reading your Bible either. Sloth. One, one church dealt with it in the New Testament. In Thessalonica, Paul deals with it. The congregation there had a problem. They, several members of this particular church decided this. Since Jesus is coming back, I don't need to work. I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to take it easy. I don't need any retirement funds. I don't need to put anything back. I'm just going to be lazy. I'm just going to slide by. And what was happening was this. Three things took place when this happened. One is is that rather than devoting themselves to study the Scripture and pray, because they were lazy physically, they became lazy spiritually. So instead of praying and reading the Word, they began to meddle in other people's business, business and they became busybodies. And the second thing that happened was that the other people in the congregation were so gracious and loved people so much that they said, well, they're in need, and so since they're not working, we'll pay their way. And so the church stepped in and began to pay the lazy people's way so that they wouldn't starve to death. And because they did that, they had no more financial resources to take care of the poor and the widows and the orphans. And Paul attacks them. Oh, I know he wrote, but the reality is that he attacked them with pen and paper. 
He said this in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Listen to what he says. Our orders, backed up by the Master Jesus, are to refuse to have anything to do with those among you who are lazy and refuse to work the way we taught you. Don't permit them to freeload on the rest. We showed you how to pull your own weight when we were with you, so get on with it. We didn't sit around on our hands expecting others to take care of us. In fact, we worked our fingers to the bone up half the night moonlighting so you wouldn't be burdened with taking care of us. And it wasn't because we didn't have the right to your support. We did. We simply wanted to provide an example of diligence, hoping it would prove contagious. Don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? If you don't work, you don't eat. And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately. No excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. Friends, don't slack off in doing your duty. Did you hear what he said? Don't let laziness be tolerated. I'm preaching real good right now. Quit being so lazy. If we want to learn about God's view of laziness, my oldest son asked me, I got on to him for being lazy one day, and he said, he, he, he did it through Julie, but he said, show me where God doesn't like laziness. Mistake. All you got to do is open up Proverbs, because Proverbs says this in chapter 10, verse 4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hand, diligent hand brings him wealth. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, diligent, hand, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27, a lazy life is an empty life, but early to rise gets the job done. But if you really want to hear God's attitude towards laziness, all you got to do is flip over to Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 through 50. Listen to very carefully what it says. It says, the sin of your sister Sodom was this. She lived with her daughters in the lap of luxury, proud, gluttonous, and lazy. And they ignored the oppressed and the poor. And they put on airs and lived obscene lives. And you know what happened? I did away with them. Now, did you catch it? You know who Sodom is, right? They're the poster child for debauchery and sin. Every manner of evil was going on. Homosexuality was rampant. Uh, promiscuity was rampant. Every kind of sin you can name was going on in Sodom. And God could have used any adjective he wanted. Those bunch of sickos, those bunch of immoral folks, those bunch of perverts. You know what he said about them? They were lazy. Let that sink in for just a moment. They were lazy. And that was one of the things that God said, that is a problem and you've got to deal with it. How do we deal with sloth? What do we do to confront and, and break sloth in our lives? A couple things. One, get off your rear and do something. Julie said that was a really profound spiritual insight there. But that's just the way I feel about it. Get off of your rear and do something. Okay, that's found in Second Hezekiah. Get off your rear and do something. Start doing something that you've been putting off. Quit making excuses and procrastinating and putting it off for tomorrow and not taking care of the business that God has. The idle hands are a devil's playground. Remember? We learned that in fifth, I think I learned in kindergarten. We've got to go back and understand that God is required. Sweat is not deadly. You won't melt. Quit standing around watching everybody else work. Get involved. Roll your sleeves up. Parents require your kids to work. 
Get them off the computer. Get them off the Game Boy. Get them out of the, off the TV and get their little rears up and make them work. Give them commission. We learn in our financial peace class we don't pay them allowance because nobody gives us allowance through life. So we've got to earn commission. Give them commission, whatever you've got to do. But teach them to work. I've got a good work ethic because my parents taught me at a young age to work. I, threw my, I had my first full-time job when I was 10 years old, slave, I know, child labor. They ought to be, DHS ought to come and get them now. I threw papers when I was 10 years old. But I learned to work. Your kids shouldn't think that they, they, it's an easy street all their life, that they just get everything they want. Make them work. They'll take better care of it if you make them pay. Like I had a car. I wasn't even going to tell this, but I had a car. I had my first beautiful car. It was a 1969 Nova. I paid $500 for it. It was gorgeous. I paid, I paid $500. We won't talk about how my sister got her first car, but I paid. I'm playing. I, I, I'm ornery this morning. Y'all going to have to, Lord, forgive me. Bless the pygmies. And, uh, okay. I paid $500 for this Nova. It was a piece of junk. My friends at high school called it a mosquito fogger because when I drove through the parking lot, smoke came out of the back because it burned so much oil. But every Saturday I would go out and wash that car. I would rush, wash the rust, you know. I, would, I took extreme care of that car. You know why? Because I paid for it. Teach your kids. The second way we break uh, sloth is this. We give an honest day's work. Honest day's work. How much time in America is wasted at work? According to a new survey by American Online and Salary.com, the average worker admits to wasting two hours and nine minutes per every eight-hour workday. We're on MySpace. We're surfing the Internet. We're sta- that doesn't count lunch and breaks, by the way. That's just the work part. We're, we're standing in somebody else's cubicle talking when we're supposed to be working we must give an honest day's work even if our employer doesn't know what we're doing if we are not giving them an honest day's work then we are in essence stealing and i know i don't have a nice little banner about stealing but the truth is is that's wrong if we're being paid we ought to work see the reason is is because we're not working for people anyway. We're working for God. That's why in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, work from the heart for your real master for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. Listen to this. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Listen to this little quote right here. Being Christian doesn't cover up Bad work. In fact, we ought to work harder. And we ought to get the promotions and the raises because we're working harder than everybody else because we're not working for for the boss. We're working for the boss. You got me this morning? The, The third thing that we need to do is we need to work as hard on our spiritual life as we do on our job or our hobby. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4 says this. It says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. We must work 
as hard on our spiritual life as we do on our car. We must work as hard on our spiritual life as we do on our computer. We must work as hard on our spiritual life as we do at golf. We must work as hard on our spiritual life as we do on shopping. We must work on our spiritual life. We don't grow grow by osmosis. We don't grow by accident. It won't always be fun. It won't always be easy. But the reality is, is that when we get to church, we're not here to relax. We are here to work. What are we trying to do? We are here to work on our relationship with God. That's why I'm, I talked to the worship team this morning. When you're done singing the songs, you're not off work. You're not off duty. Now is not the time to go sit back and relax and say, well, I did my part. No, you still have a part to do. It's to work on your spiritual walk with God. That is our job. Don't come in here and take it easy. Don't come in here and slide backwards. Don't come in here and watch me work. You are supposed to get here on Sunday morning ready to work. Read your word. Pray. Spend time with God. Work this thing. It's what we're supposed to do. Then the last one is anger. Uh, Julie sent me a quote. She wanted me to make sure I read this one. It says, when a husband loses his temper, he usually finds his wife's. You'll get that later. She seemed to enjoy with that one. I don't know why. Uh, Anger is defined as an inordinate and uncontrolled feelings of hatred and anger and also encompasses anger pointed internally rather than externally. The idea of anger or wrath also carries with it the concept of revenge. We need to understand this morning that when you are always angry, some of you have had some bad things happen in your life. Some of you are going through some bad things right now. There are some people that know how to push your buttons, say amen. They know how to make you angry. But I want to tell you this morning, if there are issues in your life, anger issues, it can have severe physical consequences for you. Did you know reports have said that that uncontrolled or unmanaged anger can cause you to have headaches and digestive problems and insomnia and increased anxiety and depression and high blood pressure and skin problems and heart attacks and strokes? Anger. That's why Marcus Aurelius said this. He said, how much more grievous are the consequences of anger than the causes of anger? We need to understand that Scripture teaches us that anger is a sin. However, it also teaches us that it is possible to be angry and not sin. There's a difference. That, that explanation is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. When, he, when Paul says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. You know it in the King James as be angry but sin not. See, there are some passages in the Old Testament that teach us about the wrong kind of anger. It's found real early in Scripture. You remember the story of Cain. He got angry because his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his anger caused him to be cursed. You also remember the story of Moses. Moses was told to speak to the rock, but because he got angry, he struck the rock. And what did it cost him? It cost him the promised land. Uh, Human anger can cost you a lot of things. Jesus got angry. Did you know that? The difference was that Jesus knew how to get angry and sin not. There are at least two and a lot more than that. But I want to point out two instances. One you know very well. He was in the temple and he saw all the money changers that were ripping the people off. They were the gas stations down the road charging $5 when, when it should have been $3. And he got angry. I don't, I don't suggest you do this. But he got angry and he grabbed some rope and he went and he drove them out of the temple. 
The second instance that I can remember is this. When Jesus was about to heal the man with the withered hand, the Bible says that he got angry at the Pharisees because they wouldn't help him because it was the Sabbath. And Jesus got angry. The difference is this, is that Jesus got angry about wrong or wrongdoing rather than the wrongdoer. He didn't get angry. He didn't hold this attitude of revenge to these people. He was wrong. That he, he was mad that their actions were wrong. His anger produced health rather than damage. Huge difference there. Be angry, but sin not. Jesus talks about anger very specifically, and I want you to hear me this morning. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. He tells us what to do when we get angry. And how to handle it. Are you ready? We don't like this one. This is one of those ones we like to X out of our Bible and not deal with. We just pass over it. But this is what he says. You're familiar with the command of the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you... Man, I do that all the time. i got to stop that. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and you're about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Did you catch that little phrase in there? Maybe I... When you remember a grudge that a friend has against you. So if you're angry, or if you remember that they're angry, whose responsibility is it? Mine. James says this. He says, God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. There is a way to be angry, holy anger. When we get angry at wrongdoing and not the person. I want to say some things real quickly and then I'm going to be done about how to break anger. The first one is this. We see, God's, we see with God's eyes instead of ours. In other words, we've got to have eyes full of grace. I know they ticked you off. I know they cut you off on the end. Right when you were getting ready to make the turn, they cut right in front of you. I know you're angry. But we got to see with God's eyes rather than our eyes. Reminds me about the story of the man riding the train. He has two little kids with him. And it's a long overnight trip. And the kids are going ballistic and they're screaming. I know y'all haven't dealt with that on a plane, but I have. It makes you want to get up and wring their little necks. And they're going crazy. And the, and the parents sitting there doing nothing. And that's happening on the train. And this man gets all he can take after about four or five hours of that. He's trying to sleep and he can't go to sleep. And he finally looks at the dad and said, why don't you take care of your kids? And the man looks back at the man and said, sir, you need to understand. I don't know if I can. My wife is in the last car in a coffin. We just, my wife just passed away and I don't know how to take care of these kids. I want to tell you what, that'll fill your eyes with grace. We need to understand that, that we cannot make it personal. The second thing I want to say to you is that we should operate exclusively by the principles found in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 18 that, uh, that I just read to you in another portion that's very similar where when we get angry, we go deal with the person face to face. No other allowances made. We don't go to sister so-and-so and tell them they made me mad. We don't go to our best friend and say they made me mad. We go to them exclusively, period. No other options. 
That's how we deal with anger. We confront and clear the air. We don't take revenge. We deal with it one-on-one, face-to-face. The third thing that we've got to do is we've got to quit playing God. Quit demanding our rights. Quit keeping score. Quit, quit watching everyone else and expecting them to live up to your expectations. Give people a reprieve. Allow God to judge and keep record. The reason we get mad is because we start, we start taking score. It's real quiet in here. I'm just telling you the way it is. We get angry too quick. We get That's why there's road rage and every other kind of rage. We blow up at everything because we think we're God. And we've got to demand our rights. We're Americans. We've got rights. No, you're Christian. Then you've got your rights as an American. I didn't get one amen out of that, but it's the truth. We've got to quit dealing with so much. And then finally, we've got to get angry at the right things. If you want to get angry, then let me give you some suggestions. Get angry at sin. If you want to get angry, quit getting angry at your neighbor because they don't take their trash out when they're supposed to. Get angry at prejudice. If you want to get angry, quit getting angry over the fact that your, your co-worker took too many paper clips. Get angry over the fact that there's an abortion going on every few seconds and babies are dying all around you. If you want to get angry, quit getting angry over the fact that somebody cut you off at Starbucks and get angry at the fact that there are people that are starving to death in communities all around us and nobody's helping them. If you want to get angry, get angry at the right stuff. There's a lot of things out there you could get angry about and somebody still in your place in line is not one of them. And I, one last story, and then I'm going to quit. I got livid. I'm telling on myself today. I got livid. Two, I'll tell you two stories. I'll tell you one. When I was a freshman at Southwestern, they put me in a room. Y'all think y'all got it bad. I had four people in a room. All right? And it was me and two of my friends. And we went out the first day, like you did. I saw the dumpster and bought everything at Walmart. We bought the huge package of toilet paper because we didn't like the sandpaper toilet paper they provided. So we went and got some Charmin. The problem was that we were rooming with a senior. And the senior decided that if stupid little freshmen would go spend their money on toilet paper, that he should be able to use it too. He used all the toilet paper. And so we got really mad. And so we went and bought a little lockbox. And we locked our toilet paper up in a lockbox. We were living, I'm telling you, we were ready to kill this guy over toilet paper. How right is that? And just to show you, I haven't completely matured yet. We were driving through a drive through at McDonald's about two weeks ago, and I told the worship team this, I had, or financial piece of this, I had to repent. I went through a drive through at McDonald's, the one on, I'll, I'll tell you where it is, right down there on Council on Northwest Expressway. And I pull up to the drive-thru, and, I, and I'm trying to order, and I got both kids in the back and Julie in the front. And I turn around, and I say, Devin, what do you want? He says, I want a double cheeseburger. I turn around, and say, I want a double cheeseburger. And the lady says, is that all? And I go, no, hang on just a second. I turn to get Tao's uh, order, and I say, Tao, do... and she says again, is that all? And I said, no, hang on just a second. Is that all? I said, no, give me just a second. I'll get with you in just a moment. Is that all? And I'm not joking. She said, and then finally she said, that'll be $4.25. I'd only given one order. And finally I'm leaning back in the back. I'd already said, hang on. Just, uh, she said, is that all? I said, no, wait just a moment. I'll be with you in just a second. She pushed my button. I'm sorry, Lord. Man, I'm repenting a lot today. Woo. If you want to get angry, get angry at the right stuff. Like homelessness and poverty and abuse. That's what we ought to get angry about. 
I want to tell you what. I don't want the people of Passion Church being known by the fact that they're angry when they go to the restaurant and they gripe at the waitress when she didn't get the food out on time. That's not worth anger. The fact that she's having to work to support her six kids when her no-good husband left her, that's what we ought to get angry about. That ought to mark us. People ought to see us and say, you know what? They get, they get angry about the right stuff. That's what I want us to get in. Here's your homework. Number one, dealing with gluttony. Fast a meal. If you're struggling with gluttony, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fast a meal, but I want you to do it differently. I don't want you to focus on the food. I want you to focus on God. And say to him, this is my offering. This is my sacrifice of praise. I'm giving you what I love, and I'm once again making you God instead of this plate of food, my God. The second thing you can do is, is develop a plan. Go talk to a friend or a doctor or an accountability partner and develop a plan to deal with your gluttony. I want to strongly suggest Southwestern students, and this is not a joke, if you're a freshman coming in, you need to develop a, a plan. I am not joking. Most of us in the room that attended college can verify that you will have a tendency to gain excess weight your freshman year. It is not healthy. You don't have to do it. Don't buy the lie that it's just inevitable. Get with some accountability partners and say, we are not going to fall to this. We are going to watch what we eat. The third thing that you can do is to take this sin seriously. It is a sin. How do we deal with sloth? Here's your homework. Work an extra hour for free. There's a novel concept. Work an extra hour for free. Here's the second thing you can do. Do something you've been putting off and do it today. Whatever you've been putting off at home, go home right now after I let you go and do it. The third thing I want you to do is sit down and work out a plan for your kids don't raise lazy kids. Please. Anger. What do we do with anger? You need to write a note to someone who made you angry and ask for, their, ask for their forgiveness. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to get angry. But I want you to get angry at something right. And so that that emotion of anger will cause you to do something about it. That's your homework this week. Are we all good? Y'all want to come pray for pastor because I had to repent so much this morning? I want you to stand with me this morning. Here we are talking about gluttony and we're going to give you cookies. How's, we're going to do a dessert night. Y'all better not. Y'all better fast a meal before next Saturday night. I'm telling you. I want us to pray. Father, I'm thankful this morning that with all of our issues, you still love us. God, I'm thankful with all the dirt of my life you still choose to love me. The obvious ones, like when I snap at the McDonald's person, and the ones that aren't so obvious, that I cover so well, you still love me. And I'm thankful for that this morning. Father, I pray over my folks today. I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would help us to get rid of the dirt in our life. God, I pray that you'd help us to deal with pride. God, I pray that you'd help us to deal with greed. I pray that you'd help us to deal with lust and envy. Father, I pray that you'd help us to deal with the gluttony areas of our life. Whatever we have no restraint in, whether it be food or drink or activities, whatever it is, God, help us not to want more than we actually need. And Father, I also pray this morning you'd help us to deal with this, this laziness that has seeped into so many areas of our culture and especially the church. Help us to be hard workers, not for man, for you. Let us glorify you with our good works. And Father, I also pray this morning you'd help us with anger. If we're angry, 
and is causing damage. I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would cause that anger to cease and desist in our lives right now. Father, if there's somebody under the sound of my voice that can, right now they can remember somebody that's angry at them. I pray that before they get home, before they go out to eat, before they do anything else, they'll pick up their cell phone or drive to their house and ask for forgiveness. Even if it wasn't their fault. God, I pray that you would help us to deal with our anger the right way and we would love one another and we would see with your eyes and we would would become patient and gracious and we'd quit trying to be you. We'll let you keep score from now on. In Jesus' name. Father, if we're angry for any reason, cause that anger to stop and turn to the right things. Help us to get angry at injustice. Help us to get angry at prejudice. Help us to get angry at at abuse and, and all these other things that deserve our anger. But don't let us get angry with one another. In Jesus' name. This is what I want us to do. If you're a Southwestern student, I want you to raise your hand right now. Doesn't matter if you're brand new or you've been there nine years. Because I know some of you are on that plan. All right, I want everybody else that doesn't have their hands up. Let, let, let me, let me, I'm sorry. I boxed that into, if you're a college student, excuse me. I get tunnel vision sometimes. If you're a college student, I want you to raise your hand. Let me just tell you, college students, those of you with your hands up, you will get mad. It'll be at a student. It'll be at a teacher. It will be at an administrative person. Somebody will park in your parking space or eat the last dessert on the buffet line and you'll get ticked off. I promise. They'll use your toilet paper. They'll wear your clothes. You're going to get mad. But you don't have to see them. I want everybody else that doesn't have their hands up. If there's somebody standing around you with their hand raised, I want you to get a hand on them right now. We're going to pray. Hey, listen, this is one of the easiest things right here that a college student... It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.